a cold coming we had of it, just the worst time of the year for a journey and such a long journey. The waves deep and the weather sharp, the very dead of winter. And the camel's galled, sore-footed refractory lying down in the melting snow. There were times we regretted the summer palaces on slopes, sherbet and terraces and the silken girls bringing sherbet. Then the camel men cursing and grumbling and running away and wanting their liquor and women. And the night fires going out and the lack of shelters and the cities hostile and the towns unfriendly and the villages dirty and charging high prices. A hard time we had of it. At the end, we preferred to travel all night, sleeping in snatches, with the voices singing in our ears, saying that this was all folly. Then, at dawn, we came down into a temperate valley, wet, below the snow line, smelling of vegetation, with a running stream and a watermill beating the darkness, and three trees on a low sky. An old white horse galloped away in the meadow, and then we came to a tavern with vine leaves over the lintel. Six hands and open door, dicing for pieces of silver, and feet kicking the empty wine skins. But there was no information, and so we continued, and arriving at evening, not a moment too soon, finding the place. It was, you might say, satisfactory. All this was a long time ago, I remember, and I would do it again. But set down, set this down, this, were we led all that way for birth or for death? There was a birth, certainly. We had evidence and no doubt. I had seen birth and death, but had thought they were different. This birth was hard and bitter agony for us, like death, our death. We returned to our places, these kingdoms, but no longer at ease here in the old dispensation, with an alien people clutching their gods. I should be glad of another death. There's just one Bible reading today, and it's taken from the Gospel of Matthew, and it's chapter 2, and it's verse 1 to 12, and it can be found on page 966 in the Green Bibles. So the Magi visit the Messiah. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it, was, when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, 
he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, and the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, David. Thank you, Val. Reading beautifully The Journey of the Magi by T.S. Eliot. Why do you come to church? It's a good question to ask at the beginning of the year, I think. Because you've all left, perhaps, your duvet. You know, that moment where you're snuggled there. And you think, do I really need to go, Lord? Or perhaps you've got sheets and blankets. I don't know, some people still have those, amazingly. But it's quite a journey you have to make, isn't it? And then perhaps if you've got families, you've got to gather them all together, and then you forget the car seat, you've got to go back. All this so it's quite a performance, really, isn't it? And some people actually come quite a long way to come to this building to meet. Why do we come? Why do we make this journey? Why do we come to this church, to this fellowship? What are we coming for? And what will 2015 bring for us? I want to suggest that from Matthew's Gospel, we come like the Magi came, seeking wisdom, but also to worship. We can, of course, seek wisdom from other places. There are books we can read. There are courses we can go on. There are self-help guides in Waterstones that just pile high and high, high in shelf of how we can change our lives for the better. Gyms at this time of year get more equipment in because, strangely, more people go to the gym at the beginning of the year. But by the end of January, the lorries are outside removing the equipment that they brought in extra. It all seems too much. We search for wisdom, and we search for patterns that we can then live, that we call life. And it's who is helping steer that, who is helping guide us in how you live this year, how I live in 2015. What is influencing you? What is having an impact in the way you make decisions? So it's good today that you have journeyed from the land of Duvet to come here, like the three kings, people on a journey looking for wisdom and to worship a king. And Matthew's account of the birth of Jesus, one we know to be so familiar as we sing, we three kings, as we will in a moment. But we need to clarify a, first, a few facts that the Bible tells us. And the first thing that we notice is that they are not kings. They are magi. 
And nowhere in the reading is the word three mentioned in the Bible. Nowhere. Yes, I hear you say, but there were three gifts, Simon. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I gave three gifts to Anne. There are not three of me. Interesting. They were only little, don't worry. We think they arrived at the same time as the shepherds while he's in the manger, gurgling, puking. But by the time they arrive, we're told Jesus is in a house, according to the Bible. It's amazing what happens when we open our Bibles and we read them. Magi was a Greek word, meaning astrologers, magicians, interpreters of dreams. And wherever this word appears in the Old Testament or the New Testament, it's usually with a very negative connotation. Such practice is condemned in the Bible. Yet Matthew, and it's only Matthew, who is writing to a Jewish audience, remember, talks about them quite positively. So why? The record of the journey of the Magi tells us that no Christian writer would have made this story up because they wouldn't have known the Jews wouldn't have liked this at all. They wouldn't have wanted such a story about astrologers and magicians coming to their Messiah. It would have shocked them. So why are they here in Matthew's gospel at the birth of Jesus? And the reason we're reading this today is most likely because it actually happened. It took place. It is true. There can be no other reason why Matthew, writing particularly to the Jews, would put this in about Magi coming to worship the Messiah. But that leads to other questions, for they are led by a star, implying that astrology and many seek wisdom through their horoscopes. Does this account in Matthew justify looking at our horoscopes? We do know that from ancient times, Julius Caesar was being buried, and as he was buried, a supernova appeared, a great star in the heavens, and this event then encouraged astrologers for many years, leading to believe that when a great king was going to be born, a great bright star would appear. And we know that the year that Matthew is talking about in his account, there was, believe it or not, a conjunction of Jupiter and Saturn. They came together to form an event in the sky that would have looked like a bright star, as we saw at the carol service of the nativity, where as Mary gives birth horrifically, then you see these planets moving together and the bright star being created. It actually happened on the 29th of May, the 3rd of October, and the 4th of December. This is when this would have happened in this year. And we also know, truthfully know, that there was a major rumor that a great king would come from Judea not just through the prophecies of the Messiah, but a number of pagan philosophers wrote about this. So come the 29th of May, you're an astrologer, you're a magi, you know about this rumor from various philosophers, what do you do? You go to Judea and you ask, where is the king? Where is the king? And why does Matthew tell us about this event taking place. I think it's to do with this, of having had the truth of it actually happened and the cosmic event that went with it, that in the philosophy of the time drew people to come and find out more. What was going on? I think it's to do with this. 
Here in this account, you have the wisdom of the nations bowing down and acknowledging Jesus as the true wisdom of God. Great thinkers of the time are coming from distant lands to, knowledge, to acknowledge that true wisdom, true wisdom to be found in the world can only be found in Jesus Christ, the babe of Bethlehem. He is the one to seek. And Paul writes this too in 1 Corinthians 1. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Many, many look for wisdom. And to a certain extent, due to God's common grace, we find it in different ways in the world. But what we learn is that the wisdom of the world is dated and it's insufficient. The Magi from the East would have been really highly educated people. They were the professors, the thinkers of their age, the Stephen Hawkins, as it were. And they believed, as they looked at the world, that the answers in how to interpret the world, how to get meaning, how to get understanding, was through dreams and astrology. We don't quite believe such things now. We, of course, have moved on. We know so much more. We have Microsoft. We have Google. Yet if we were to go back just a hundred years, some of what was written as wisdom then might be scorned today, particularly in how we treated people. So much of what we believe to be true and wise can actually strangely suddenly become out of date. C.S. Lewis, a very wise man, said this, all that is not eternal is eternally out of date. All that is not eternal is eternally out of date. Do we, have we come to know everything that there is to know? Have we reached the truth in all things? Are we fully wise? Where are the wise men? Where are the scholars of this age? And the wisdom of this world is insufficient. Of course, it's not all outdated. By God's grace, again, we're able to discover new truths, and we pray that we will find new solutions to the world's problems, the massive problems of poverty, of disease, of war. We simply, as a human race, haven't given up, but we cannot save ourselves. And the wise men find out there is a king to be born, and they find out through their astrology, but they can't find out without understanding the Old Testament where this king is actually going to be. And it seems in the Christmas story and the carols we sing that the wise men followed the star. We are not told that in Matthew's gospel. When the star appeared for the first time on May the 29th, they connected that to the rumor there was to, this, to be this great king who will be born. Then we read they arrive in Jerusalem. The star did not take them to Jerusalem. They knew through their understanding, through their learning, to go to Judea. That's where the event, as this star rose, that's where this was going to happen. And so they went to the most influential place in that area. They went to Jerusalem. And they knew it from their own logic and from their own thinking. There was going to be a king born. But they had to search the Scriptures 
And they have to listen to an Old Testament prophet, Micah. From you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Their wisdom, their learning was not complete. It did not lead them to where Christ was. And Romans 1 says the same thing. You can look at all creation, as we have done over this winter season, with the amazing sunsets and sunrises, the wonder of creation. And you can see God in it, but you can't. You can't have a relationship with God. It's limited. We may have great understanding about the world that we live in, but there is still something missing if we aren't in relationship with its creator. And so the wise men are sent to Bethlehem. Bethlehem. That's like going to Bognor or Bolton. Forgive me if you come from Bognor or Bolton. But it's not really a major city. It's not a place of huge influence, apart from Bolton, the football team. As far as the intelligent were concerned, that's not where intelligent people went. There wasn't a university there. It was a small town. And here in this event, Matthew reveals to us the contrasts that there are between the wisdom of the world and the wisdom of God. The wisdom of the world says, if you're going to make a difference, if you're going to influence people, you have to have come from the right background. You have to have been to the right school with an outstanding Ofsted report. You have to have gone to the right university gain the right degree. You then will have had to have networked with the right people, get the right job, and then you have to live in the right neighborhood. And yet God began the life of his son on earth with an unmarried peasant girl to an older man named Joseph in Bethlehem. And yet Jesus, Jesus became the most influential person the world has ever seen. By breaking all those right ways, all that the world considered wise. Jesus was not born into the right family. Yes, he was of the line of David, but he never wrote a book. He never led an army into battle. And from what Isaiah tells us, he wasn't actually that good looking. No celebrity sort of dazzlingness about him and his white, super white grin. He did nothing according to the world's wise ways of doing things. He did everything in God's way. And God's way, therefore, would seem to tell us the way up is down. The way to get power is to serve. And the way to get really rich, which is to have a love that will never let you go, is to give everything away. Exactly the opposite to what the world says. And we too can easily fall into the trap of the wisdom of the world. Where have we come from? What have we achieved academically? What we own, what we look like, what we strive for. And you may feel good at the beginning of this year in where you are as you reflect on such a list of that. You have a good job. You have a good home. You have a good lifestyle. And none of this, of course, is bad. Or you may feel not so good. And you may feel not so good because you're measuring yourself against what the world deems as important. But the arrival of the Magi in Bethlehem to worship a baby born upon the earth means we have to stop. We have to stop feeling good or bad in relation to the way of the world. 
and not judge ourselves according to that. The journey of the Magi reveals to us that it's not that important. Really, Simon? Why is it then that I've given my life and will give the rest of this year to do exactly that, you may ask? Because God has made foolish the wisdom of the world. He has shown the wisdom and worship of the world to be made foolish by the very birth of Jesus in a manger to a poor, poor girl. And to tap, top all that, he's going to be brought up in Nazareth. Can anything good come from Nazareth? However, in the end, when the Magi arrived, when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The gifts were kingly gifts, I'll admit that. They could have been kings. It's one of the reasons we come to believe that they were kings, for they were very expensive gifts, not just from M&S or Waitrose, or John Lewis for that matter. But it was also expected that when you came to see a king, you always brought a gift. You had to be on the good side of a king. So what do you bring? So for them to bow down, to give gifts, yes, this would have been normal practice. But Matthew goes on to say this one thing they do. They worship. And J.C. Ryle, the Bishop of Liverpool, this is what he says about this passage. They saw no miracles to convince them. They heard no wise words out of his mouth. They saw nothing but a newborn infant on the lap of a poor woman. But they worshipped him. No greater faith than this can be found in the entire volume of the Bible. J.C. Ryle, a bishop. A staggering statement, and one we might not agree with. But generally, most people believed in Jesus when they heard him preach. They were amazed when they heard him. When they saw him heal people, it began to make them think. When they were at the feeding of the 5,000 hungry and then were fed, who is this? As the disciples said, when the wind and the waves even obeyed him. When they saw Lazarus rise from the dead and come out of the tomb. These magi, they walk into a house. They see an infant on the lap of a poor woman, and they worship. Why? The only reason why these pagan wise men, which Matthew puts in the gospel, offensively remember, can only be that they have some divine revelation through the Holy Spirit. And suddenly they realize in the poverty of this place, that this is what they've been looking for all their lives. What is it they've been living for? They have lived for wisdom. They have searched the skies for wisdom. And now through the Holy Spirit, they are filled with a peace and a certainty that their journey has come to an end, and yet it is a new beginning. So here they are to worship and to bow down. 
And everyone in this church this morning is living for something, no matter where you are in regards to whether you believe or not. And I want to say to all of us at the beginning of this year, whatever you've been looking for all your life, you will only find it in Jesus Christ. Really, truthfully, honorably. So I want to suggest to us all this morning that you can have the same experience as the Magi. You can see in Jesus the ultimate wisdom of God, everything that you need to learn how to live on this earth. And Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians, where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made, made foolish the wisdom of the world? And he follows this with, he follows those verses with, at verse 23, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But of those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. The wise men saw a child and worshipped, and we can experience that too. And we can experience it by looking not only into the manger, but upon the cross, as we will do in a moment in communion. We're nearly there. Which is why T.S. Eliot, in his journey of the Magi, believes, gives different symbols of the cross. The vine leaves are over the lintel of the tavern to remind us of the wine that would be drunk by Jesus and his disciples at the Last Supper and his claim to the disciples that I am the vine and you are the branches. The lintel itself hints at Passover, that underlies the Last Supper narrative, when the blood of the Lamb was daubed on the lintel of the door that the angel of death might pass over. The dicing for pieces of silver recalls for us the soldiers at the foot of the cross who drew lots for the possession of Jesus and pieces of silver that were paid to Judas. And the feet kicking the empty wineskins in the tavern recalls the parable about needing fresh wineskins for new wine, the new wine of God's kingdom, God's wisdom, God's wisdom now in the world, but suggesting that at this birth, something world-changing has happened that brings the intelligentsia of the world to bow and worship a baby on the lap of a poor maiden. And then the final section, the traveler sharing the story of his journey, starts to refer to his birth and death that will soon arrive, he says. But it also looks to Jesus' death of the three trees on the hill and the hard and bitter agony that will come. No wonder the Magi worshipped when they first saw him. The slogan says, wise men come to Jesus. They still do. Men and women down the age have sought wisdom in following Christ, even though it appears foolish to the world. They make the journey. You are making the journey. And you and I will make the journey through 2015. It will be costly at times. And so we need to keep focusing upon the cross. For at the cross we see the wisdom of God. Is God so holy 
and righteous as we look at the cross, that he must always punish sin because he's that holy and righteous. Or because God is love, is it that he's going to accept you no matter what you do? Which is it? Which is it as you look at the cross and as you come shortly to community, communion, which is it for you? It has to be one or the other, doesn't it? They can't be equal. We, think, we see things sometimes very black and white, very one-dimensional. I thank God the Magi arrived in Matthew's Gospel to open our eyes in wonder of how God works His ways, His thoughts, His wisdom out in the world. For Jesus speaks to Nicodemus and says to him challengingly, you must be born again. And yet to a woman at a well, he's quite sensitive with her and draws her through her life and her story to drink of streams of living water. To Martha on the death of Lazarus, he proclaims, I am the resurrection and the life. And yet to Mary, to Mary he chooses to stand and weep and say, nothing at all. God is not one-dimensional. God has many, many responses, for He is wise. It's the same in our churches as we move into 2015. So often we think we have to be one or the other. But as we make our way to the cross, we ask, is God so righteous and holy that He has to punish sin? or so loving and merciful that he's going to accept you no matter how you live? Questions to ask in a home of grace. The answer using God's wisdom is both, and they are equal. Because only on the cross could God in his wisdom do something that on the one hand completely fulfills holiness, fulfills the law, because it satisfied the justice of God and completely satisfies at the same time love and mercy that makes it possible for you to be accepted by Him. If you believe in Him, no matter what you've done, even if you've done the most terrible things in the eyes of the world, if you can see how God did both at the same time, no either or, both, and once and for all, it passes into you, literally, as you take communion this morning. It comes into your very soul, and it leads you, it leads me to worship and become a wise person, looking at the world from the vantage point of the cross, not being a legalist, not being a relativist. As you stand and gaze at the cross, you find you have a high view of who you are in Christ, completely loved, even though you know the truth, even though you are made of dust and sin. Many struggle with this and will struggle with it throughout 2015 as I do. In that struggle, of knowing you're deeply loved, but at the same time, why then do I do this? Why do I live following the wisdom of the world? Why do I take things into my own hands? You are in the place of the cross. 
you are in the place of the wisdom of God. And so in 2015, may we as a church learn to be sympathetic to those where we might have judged, but able to challenge, challenge with words seasoned with grace. We can only do this as we gather around the cross at communion. And we can have the same experience the wise magi coming to Jesus had. So as you journey through 2015, I want to encourage you and us all to keep looking at the cross. Look at the cross throughout this year. The more you do, the more you believe in it, the more you will give him your all. The great gifts of your life you will give in his service. And the wiser, the wiser you will be for it. Look to the cross, for there is the wisdom of God. We can only hope and pray the Magi were there too. We're going to sing of the Magi now with that familiar song, We Three Kings of Orient Are. You could sing Magi if you wanted, just in case you don't like the interpretation. But let's stand together as we move towards the cross, as we move towards Christ to find wisdom and to bow down and to worship Him. Amen.